turn to 1 John chapter 1. So 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse 5, and we're going to go through to chapter 2 and verse 6. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and we're going to read right through to chapter 2 and verse 6. This is God's Word. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Let's bow our heads and let's pray before we think about those words together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that not only Is it without error? But Father, thank you that it revives the soul. It brings joy to our hearts. It teaches us and instructs us and corrects us. And may that be our experience this morning. May you be our teacher, we pray, because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How can I know if my car is roadworthy, fit to be on the public highways? Well, I can take it for an MOT. How can I know if the electrics in my house are safe? Well, I can get an electrician to come with some fancy equipment and he'll plug things in and tell me uh, whether or not it is safe. How can I know if I'm going to enjoy some new food? Well, I can taste a little bit to find out. In our lives, we conduct tests all the time. So how about this? How can I know if I have passed... From death to life. How can I know if I am a child of God? How can I be certain? And this isn't a small thing, is it? This is a big thing. The implications of this have eternal consequences. And First John, 1 John, is the answer to that question. A book that was written to give genuine believers assurance that they have eternal life. 
But then the flip side of that coin, it's also a book written to take assurance away from people who have no right to assurance. People who are pretenders. Fakes. And in John's letter, in 1 John, he gives us a series of tests to apply to our lives. To help us to see whether or not our faith is genuine. We see just in the first few verses, not in our reading, just before our reading, in the opening verses of 1 John and chapter 1, that the life appeared. The eternal life appeared. Jesus appeared to normal people. God entered his world, his glory veiled. And those normal people who met with the Lord Jesus were never the same again. They came to see who Jesus is. They entered into fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. What was the message that the Lord Jesus spoke to those original eyewitnesses? Well, verse 5 tells us in our reading. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. I would like you to imagine that you got to spend a day with one of your heroes, someone that you really admire. I don't know who that would be for you. Maybe it would be a celebrity or an actor or an actress or a musician or an athlete, a sports superstar, a top chef, an author. I don't know who that is for you. Imagine you spent a day with them. What would that be like, do you think? Now, it would be amazing in in many ways, but I'm sure it would also be pretty disappointing as well. So imagine you were a fly on the wall of their life. You would soon see how ordinary that person actually was. They would eat just like you. They would sleep just like you. They would conduct some personal hygiene, hopefully, just like you. You would hear lies, arguments, anger, frustration. You would see their character flaws, to use biblical language, their sin, and all that just within one day. But you could spend a lifetime with Jesus. You could be the fly on the wall of Jesus' life, and what would you witness Now, we're not told everything that Jesus did in the Gospels. John makes that very clear. But in all the accounts and everything the disciples saw, they only ever saw moral perfection and beauty. Now, I don't know what you're like when you're tired. I don't know if that makes you a little bit more grumpy. Well, Jesus' closest followers saw him when he was tired When he faced extreme pressure, when he was wrongly accused, when he faced absolute injustice, and after all they'd seen, they still said, God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. When they observed Jesus' life, they saw no evil behavior, no falsehood, no plotting in the dark, no living in line with the devil's kingdom. None of that. Even Jesus' opponents had nothing to pin on him. They had to get false witnesses in when they wanted to condemn him of something. There was nothing in Jesus' life 
to discredit him whatsoever. Whenever there's a general election or some presidential elections or some leadership campaign, we always hear of stories, don't we, from the candidates, some moral misdemeanors, drug use, lack of integrity, taking advantage of their position in the past, exploitation, inconsistency, lies, foolish comments. All those wanting to discredit a leader have no difficulty in finding plenty of ammunition, but that is not true of Jesus. It is true of Jesus that he is totally light. In him there is no darkness at all. John states it. We just see it, don't we, there in verse 5. We've already read the verse. And he then uses a strong double negative. In him there is no darkness at all whatsoever. Now, we need to realize that our assurance to our journey to assurance is understanding something about the character of God. He is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Please just look back at the first uh, four verses in 1 John and chapter 1. We see some amazing truth in these verses. This is verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The apostles saw Jesus, and the result was, from believing in him, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son. And as they represent the gospel message that they witness with their eyes, that gives us the possibility to also have fellowship with them and fellowship with the Father. That's just a way of saying a Christian, someone who has passed from death to life, someone who is a child of God, someone who has fellowship. We need to be very careful here with words. They are not described as fans of the Father, so they applaud what he does. They are not described as friends of the Father, so I'll squeeze you in when I have time. Now, those things might be true, but they're not John's words. John's words are fellowship. What does that mean? What does it mean to have fellowship with somebody? Well, the word means a relationship with mutual assent and commitment to a common purpose or task. People who have passed from death to life who have believed in the Lord Jesus, who have received a relationship with God, are committed to God and his purposes. Now, it's self-explanatory that if God is light, those who have come to know him, who have eternal life, are therefore committed to the light. So what's the test? What's the test so we know if we have eternal life? Let me read you a few verses. This is the test stated in different ways. Verse 6, chapter 1. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Chapter 2, verse 5. Whoever claims... To live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now please, if you have a Bible, jump forward to 1 John and chapter 3 and verses 
4 to 10. So the way that John writes his letters is he has a theme that he will pick up and speak about, and then he'll put it down and he'll pick it up again later in his letter. He writes in a circular fashion. So he's, he's mentioning the same theme here, just in different ways. So this is 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear, ch- dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seeds remain in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This couldn't be clearer. You can have assurance that you have passed from death to life if you obey what Jesus says. Now, let's just pull on a thread from chapter 3 and verse 8. It says there in chapter 3 and verse 8 that Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. Now, if we have fellowship with him, which is a relationship with mutual assent and commitment to a common purpose or task, our common purpose or task is destroying the work of Satan. That's what Jesus was about. That's what we should be about. Well, what does that mean? I'm sure you'll remember the very famous account. It's in uh, Mark chapter 8, where Peter told Jesus not to get on with God's mission, which means going to the cross. And Jesus responded with the very famous words, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. So the work of Satan is to take our minds off the things of God and to put them on the things of man. So that means if we want to destroy the work of Satan, we need to take our minds off the things of man And put them on the things of God. So we can have assurance that we have eternal life if we're often thinking about the things of God rather than the things of man. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody and the question is raised. You may be talking about somebody and the question is raised, are they a Christian? I don't know if you've ever had that uh, experience. Is such and such a person a Christian? And we sometimes respond, well, I think they made a commitment when they were younger. Have you ever sort of had one of these conversations? So we say, how do you know someone's a Christian? Well, if they made a commitment at some point when they were younger, maybe we might even say, do they have a commitment card? I've got one. This is very, very precious to me. Um, If you want to touch it, you need to put white gloves on before you're allowed to. And these are really good, aren't they? And they're really helpful. They speak about a time when maybe for the very first time, uh, we said that we trust Jesus and we believe in him. But these, although they're very good, they can actually be very dangerous. It's not actually a biblical thing. And it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible 
that the way that we can have assurance that we're a Christian is by looking back to some prayer or commitment card. It's not biblical to say that. It's much more biblical to actually say, how do you know if someone's a believer? Well, let's not go back to an event 2, 10, 20, 50 years ago, but let's just review their last week. How can I know if I'm a believer? Well, let's, let's review my last 24 hours. What's my life looked like? I'm sure we all know the person who's always into the next big hobby, aren't we? Don't we? So there's some new fashion or fad and they get all the gear. But then as the fad moves on, they move on as well. So it might be a new year. And of course, all the supermarkets are wise to this. They sell all running equipment and fitness gear. Everyone goes and buys it. And then by the 2nd of January, it's all in the loft. Or maybe there's some new fashion in trainers and people go out and buy them and then they move on to the next thing. Or maybe someone is into skiing and they get all the gear and then a year later, they're not interested anymore at all. And for some people, sadly, that's what Christianity is like. We know that because of Jesus' parable of the soils. People pick it up like a bit of a fad. A bit of a craze, perhaps maybe when away on a camp or perhaps because they grew up in a church and, and a commitment was made. But now it's all historical. And it's making no tangible difference in my life whatsoever. We must be very careful not to base our assurance on a commitment in the past. If God has begun a good work in somebody's life, that will be obvious. If the, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in somebody's life, he will give himself away. Now, if you have any doubt about new life giving itself away, go and ask one of the new dads or mums in the, the congregation this morning. Does that new life in their house give themselves away at the most inappropriate times in the evening? A new life makes a noise. And it's same with the Spirit of God in a person's life. The Spirit of God makes a difference in our lives. The, the Holy Spirit will start to change our hearts so that we will be living our lives in fellowship with the Father and His Son, which means a relationship with mutual assent and commitment to a common purpose or task. But now we need to ask a very, very important question. And that very important question is, well, what does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to walk as Jesus walked? Because it would seem when John was writing, there were some false teachers that were going around making certain claims about what it meant to walk as Jesus walked, things that weren't actually true. So go back to 1 John and chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 6, 8, and 10. So John is making some, he's correcting some false thinking that some of the false teachers were uh, proclaiming. So in verse 6, we, say, we read this. If we, proclaim, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So it's not true. So if you're a Christian, it is not true that you will continue exactly like you lived before. You will change. You will hear what God has to say 
and you will obey it. You will believe it. That will be the settled conviction of my life. If God says something, I'm going to believe it and live it and do it. Which is why meeting together with fellow Christians and hearing the Bible explained as often as possible is vital. But John also points out that we are not talking about sinless perfection. So this uh, we see in verse 8. So in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So a Christian is not somebody who never makes a mistake or who, who never goes wayward or disobeys God. In fact, a Christian, being a Christian means I acknowledge that sadly there are times in my life when I sin and disobey God and it grieves me. And I'm sorry about that. And I'm trying to fight against it. Now, this isn't a great illustration, but it was the best I could think of. It's pretty poor, but we'll go with it anyway. Imagine you're trying to complete an assault course. Apart from it's pitch black and you don't know you're trying to complete an assault course. How do you think you would get on? I mean, you're not even going to know what direction you're traveling in. You don't know what the objects are. You just keep bashing into things. It's all pretty awkward and uncomfortable. And then someone comes along and turns the light on. Now, all of a sudden, you realize, ah, I'm trying to do an assault course. And you set off. And you're trying to get over this big A-frame thing, and it's pretty hard work, and you have to stop for a breather. And then you come up against this wall, and you keep trying to climb up, and you keep falling back down. And someone else comes along and says, let me tell you how I got over the wall. In fact, let me help you and give you a leg up. And someone else is at the top saying, let me try and pull you over this wall. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go around the assault course like a Marine or like a member of the SAS. It's not going to be pretty. But you will be making slow and steady progress. Sometimes you might get discouraged and frustrated. Sometimes you might fall back a bit, but you know what you're aiming for. There is a settled direction that you're heading in as you seek to complete the course. Sometimes you might feel really frustrated and discouraged. Other times you might feel like you're getting on okay. And that's a bit what it's like for a Christian. We recognize now, because we're in the light, what life is all about. It's all about God. It's all about the Lord Jesus. We understand the truth of the gospel. And when we are trying to climb over the wall and and we fall back, we have friends around us to help us get over that obstacle. Friends that can say, well, you know, I used to be tempted in that way. And this is the thing that I, this is the part of the Bible that was particularly helpful for me. And when we think about our failures and when the enemy throws in our faces the sins of the last day or the last week or the last year or something we did 20 or 30 years ago, we can be armed with the wonderful truth of chapter 1 and verse 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. That is incredible. We can have confidence and assurance of eternal life. Not because we cover up our sin. 
not because we haven't committed any sin, but instead we know it's been washed clean. Imagine if you need to, being really dirty and going for a shower and all the dirt is going down the plug hole. Or imagine having a filthy shirt that you put in the washing machine and it comes out brilliant white. Or imagine a greasy, dirty oven that gets deep cleaned. That's what Jesus does to our sin. He obliterates it. When we confess it, he forgives us. We get this image, don't we? It's in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 of a courtroom, this heavenly courtroom. We have Satan, the accuser who is reminding the father of our sin. And yet who speaks up for us in that heavenly courtroom? Jesus Christ. If you are anyone representing you, it's Jesus Christ because he is the righteous one. What's he saying to the father? Is he saying something like, go on, just forgive them one more time? Not at all. Jesus is saying, I've already faced sentence for that sin. I've already paid the debt for that sin. Michael can go free because I've given him my righteousness. You can go free because Jesus has given you his righteousness. You can walk free, exonerated, all because of Jesus' death on the cross. This is open to all who believe, the whole world. There's no other way for our sin to be dealt with. So this morning, apply the test. Think about what John is saying. How are you walking? Are you living and walking as Jesus did? So have you entered into a relationship with mutual assent and commitment to a common purpose or task? What are your ambitions? What are your dreams? If you had three wishes, what would they be? If you had three wishes, what would they be? That is a great way of understanding what's important to me. Are they in line with God's kingdom? Do I love God? Do I love spending time meeting with his people? Am I committed to reading his word and prayer? Am I excited at the prospect of serving him and seeing this community reached with his good news? This morning, there are two answers. Answer number one, yes. I know I'm not what I should be, but yes, I have this desire, this settled conviction in my heart that by faith I want to live for the Lord Jesus. If that's you, have gutsy belief and faith in Jesus' forgiving, cleansing power. Keep hearing his word. Keep believing his word and obeying his word. Asking him to change you in areas where you disobey. But what about if the answer's no? What about if after hearing this test, you think, you know, deep in my heart, I do not have a settled conviction of wanting to walk the way that Jesus walked? What then? What should I do? Well, we need to realize that John is not telling us or explaining to us the entrance exam for Christianity. The way that you receive eternal life is not obedience to Christ. If you are a Christian, the mark of a Christian or evidence of a Christian is you will live as Jesus lived. But that's not how you become a Christian. You do not become a Christian by climbing up the ladder of God's law. What John is telling us is not the CV you must produce or the entrance exam to heaven. 
if you try to live the Christian life without being a Christian, you will be totally crushed by the demands that Jesus makes. They will crush you. See, being a Christian is not a hobby. It's not a philosophy we buy into. It is a new supernatural life in the heart of a human being. It's, it's where the Holy Spirit changes our desires and ambitions. It's God at work in our hearts, transforming us as we understand and hear his word. If I am not living or walking as Jesus did, and I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but if I'm not doing that, we need to repent and believe the good news. John's gospel helps us with this. Being a Christian is somebody who is born of God, who is born again. Babies don't make a decision to be born. They do not give life to themselves. We are absolutely at the mercy of God. He is the one that changes us on the inside. He is the one that regenerates us. What a hammer blow to our pride. It's the Lord Jesus that changes us. We do not reform or change ourselves. It's not self-improvement. It is God who changes us by his grace. But John's gospel also helps us to understand another element of becoming a Christian. I could take you to John 3.16. But instead, I'll take you to John 12.46 that says this. I have come into the world as a light. This is Jesus speaking. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Or John 12.36. Put your trust in. In the light while you have it so that you may become sons of the light. Becoming a Christian is a work of God. But we have the responsibility to believe in him, to trust him, to take him at his word. So this morning, if you are not walking as Jesus walked, believe that he came to this earth. To live the perfect life. To die your death. And speak to him in the quietness of your own heart. Tell him you believe. Ask him to give you a brand new heart. And turn from sin. Confess sin. And begin to walk in the light. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together before we sing our final hymn.